I knew what the U.S. women were doing, but we didn't know what these other women were doing. It was before they didn't post the results of their nationals or their qualifying events pretty much anywhere. We didn't have any idea what any of the women were going to do from any of the countries. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Karin Marshall, a legend in the sport of weightlifting. Karin began her lifting career in the 70s, and in 1985, she became the first woman in history to clean and jerk over 300 pounds. She competed in, and won gold at, the first Women's Weightlifting World Championships in 1987, becoming the first-ever American champion and the only American champion from that competition. As a Masters athlete, she also competed at the 2011 CrossFit Games. She joins us to discuss her career in weightlifting, as well as how women's weightlifting has evolved and grown over the past few decades. I do want to take a second to give a special shout-out to our episode sponsor, Transparent Labs. If you want clean, clearly labeled supplements with ingredients backed by science, Transparent Labs has you covered. Seriously, no hidden ingredients, no proprietary blends, and nothing artificial. That includes their uber-popular bulk pre-workout, with ingredients we love to see for focus and energy, plus vitamin D3, boron, and zinc. All the good stuff, absolutely no fillers. Use code BARBED at checkout for an extra 10% off. Karin, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us. I, I'm a I'm a long time fan, so this is like a, this is a bucket list podcast for me. And to give folks some some reference on your career, take us back to the first time you competed representing the United States at the World Weightlifting Championships, because I think that's an important reference point in your career. Absolutely, that was that was a highlight. Uh, it was the very very first women's um, world championships, 1987, Daytona Beach, Florida, and uh, we we showed up with as a ball of fire and expected to really to to take home all the all the gold medals. Um, it didn't exactly turn out that way. Um, we. China showed up, <laughs> which was an unknown, um, an unknown entity at the time in weightlifting. It really wasn't the dominant force that it is today. Um, and they prepared. They came ready to, 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 to lift some heavy weights. Um, and I was at that point uh, in the weight class, 82.5 kilogram weight class. Um, and uh, in, up to that point, up to the 75 kilos, they swept. They swept the gold. So um, it, it was a disappointment, but the still U.S. women did incredibly well in the other, in, 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 you know, as best as they could. And they performed well, and it was still an exciting time. Um, and at that point, um, that day that I was competing was, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, expectation. <laughs> um, I came there to win gold. Um, and that was my moment. Um, and I was prepared and I wanted it to be my golden moment. And they came up to me and basically said, you're it, you're our one chance for gold. And that was an incredible feeling. Um, and to be able to put in the time and the work and the effort and to be able to showcase that we 
were a legitimate sport and we deserved recognition and to do the best that we could. Here we are. Um, um, I, I, I won the very first women's world championships. Now, this is in the age well before social media, still well before the internet. So it wasn't like you could just pop on Instagram and check out what someone's training numbers were or how they were looking in training. So when you say China was an unknown entity in weightlifting, you literally had no idea what their women's team was capable of leading up to that, right? Um, we had no idea. We, there, there, that was an unknown. We, they, they did not release... You know, you could you could go back in magazines. You could you know go back in literally paper print magazines. Um, but we we can't. We, I knew what the U.S. women were doing, but we didn't know what these other women were doing. It was before they didn't post the results of their nationals or their qualifying events. Pretty much anywhere, we didn't have any idea what any of the women were going to do from any of the countries. My my big question for you, and this is a bit rhetorical, why haven't they made a movie about this about this <laughs> event yet? There's like the you, the drama is just it's built in. You don't even have to fictionalize anything, right? It was, it was exciting. It was an exciting time. I mean, I, at the time, the executive director of well, it was Weightlifting USA back then, not USA Weightlifting. Um, Harvey Newton, and he came up because you're our only hope now. <laughs> And I'm like, don't worry, Harvey, I got this. (laughs) Something to that effect. And it was, that was, you know, it was on, I felt it was on my shoulders. I I, I felt like, you know, we had to at least, you know, we had to come away with something. Right, especially on on U.S. soil, and it's it's such a milestone in weightlifting—the first women's world championship. And in in my mind, you know, I almost think, oh, it's it. I obviously know where it was, but. You know, it's got to be in some uh, in Los Angeles or in Madison Square Garden or in Rome or like a you know something. And it's like no, it it was Daytona Beach. It was it was, it was Florida. It was, yeah, it was Florida. It was in a cool stadium. It was you know it was a nice arena. It was you know it was nice. It wasn't yeah it wasn't you know a major event. But <laughs> what um how many years had you been training just to give context? So, you know, you, you win in 1987, you're the first ever American women's weightlifting world championship, but how long had you been training in the sport leading up to that? I started in weightlifting in 1978, I believe, um, before there were nationals, before there were worlds, before there was the Olympics, before they were even, when I competed, I was competing against men. There weren't women's bars. There weren't women's weight classes. I, you know, I competed it against men. <laughs> I got weighed in by men. <laughs> There's, I'm sure, some some awkward awkward <laughs> stories uh, in that last part. But what what inspired you to take up weightlifting at a time when it was not a competitive sport that you saw women actively participating in at at scale? Well, I, I had some people around me, my coach and friends who just um, loved the sport um, and just piqued my interest in saying, you know, maybe I have some potential and that maybe this, um, you could be paved the way. And and I think I liked that as much as I liked anything else. I, I, I kind of liked being different. I liked being um, I liked the fact that it was brand new. I liked that, you know, I could um, maybe make a mark in, in this world. <laughs> well, I, I think that you accomplished, I think you certainly accomplished that in, 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 in no small feat. 
Now, for historical context here, the first women's weightlifting world championships, 1987, which just seems now you think about it, you think that's preposterous. Wait, it was until 1987 we didn't have the sport, the international level for women. It took 13 more years for this to become a recognized Olympic sport. What was your in, in involvement in the sport kind of in that 13-year time period? I know you still competed for, for a bit after 1987, but you know, were you involved in any initiatives to petition this to become an Olympic sport? My involvement was mostly as an athlete for a little bit of time prior to 87. I served on the women's committees, which what we had. Um, and I would say the, 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 the person who, who did the most work towards it becoming an international and Olympic sport was Judy Glennie. Um, and I don't know if you know who she is, but she's, um, she's quite, she, she was really, um, influential in, in getting involved internationally. Um, what I felt my, what I did was try to do my best to show that we were legitimate athletes. And I tried to be the best athlete that I could to prove that we deserve to be there through performance. Um, and so you know, doing things like even before the 1987 World Championships, I could only set American records. I couldn't set world records. There was no um, no event avenue for me to do that. So what I did um, at the um, behest of someone who just basically said, you know, you guys really aren't worth anything until at least you could break Katie Sanduina's record from the Guinness Book of World Records at, from 1908 which was the greatest overhead lift by a woman. And I'm like, well, that became a goal, you know, that would do so. So I said, I was able to set a Guinness book world record starting in 1985. I set a couple of different ones, but that was the first one. And so I felt like that was my contribution was to be able to, to show that we were, we deserve to be on the world stage. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But first, another quick word from our sponsor, Transparent Labs. You know Hofdor Bjornsson, 2018 World's Strongest Man and one of the strongest human beings in history? Yep, he uses Transparent Labs to fuel his performance. Now, not everyone is a six foot nine Icelandic world record holder, and you probably don't eat 8,000 calories a day. But Transparent Labs has the goods for every strength athlete. Clinically effective doses, nothing artificial, and a label you can actually read. Now let's get back to the conversation. Let's talk about, speaking of, of impressive overhead lifts, let's talk about the 300-pound barrier. Now, weightlifting is a sport in kilograms, so I'm sure a lot of weightlifting purists are going to be really confused by this point in the conversation because we think of weightlifting now, we think of, oh, I want to hit 140 kilos. I want to hit 145 kilos. That 300-pound clean and jerk barrier is something that's very much associated with you. Can, we, can you talk a little bit about setting that record and the build-up to it? Um, or setting yeah, that mark, I, I guess. It wasn't an, a, a record at the, at, the, at the time or a world record. These, these were the things that I had to, to work with. I, ha I didn't have an IWF world record that I could set. Um, so I wanted to set records. I wanted to show that I could be the first at something. So, you know, we had to... Um, and And not only for myself, but also to be able to establish us as legitimate. So for me, um, I, you know, these were things that I could, you know, there was a Guinness book world record I could go after. 
I could go after and become the first woman to snatch more than 200 pounds. I could go after and become the first woman to clean and jerk more than 300 pounds. Um, so, um, basically, um, um, I understand that it's kilos and yes, I clean and jerked 137.5 kilos, but these were gems for me. These were, these were morsels that I could hold on to. They were carrots for me to be able to say I did that was a boost for me and the sport and, and to be able, you know, it was still something, it was still a milestone that I could achieve and, and, a, and a ceiling that I could break through. And these were things I was trying to do to improve myself and to improve the legitimacy, legitimacy of our sport. And they were all I had at the time. If I had other tools at my disposal, I would have been able to use them, but that's what I had. <laughs> now, did you, did you ever think that within, within your lifetime, you were the first woman to ever clean jerk more than 300 pounds? which is just such a, it's such a media friendly soundbite. Like I, I get it as a member of the media, why you know, there's a story to be written about that as stories were written by your accomplishment. Did you ever think that in your lifetime, you'd see a woman clean and jerk 400 pounds or over, which we've seen that, that, a few that times. blows my mind. That blows my mind. But yeah, well, you know what? Great. That's what it's for. That's why you have those kind of barriers because once you break through them, then there's the next barrier and then there's the next barrier. And, and whether you want to say it, it doesn't, you know, who cares whether it's in pounds or kilos? I mean, I guess a purist would, but um, I think the main thing is that um, um, records are meant to be broken. <laughs> And if, and if there's a world where they're not broken, then the sport's not advancing. And to me, that just shows that, you know, you, the momentum was there for it to continue to grow and expand and, and develop and get better. So that's a great thing. I, I've been really fortunate to talk to uh, both uh, – Tara Cunningham and Cheryl Hayworth, who were members of the 2000 Sydney Olympic team, they came away with uh, with some hardware on the international yeah, level. Yeah. What was? Um, for, forgive me if I don't know this. Uh, that I don't know this. Were, were you were you in Sydney or were you you were watching along on TV just like everyone watching else on TV? Yeah, just Half, like everyone else halfway yeah. across the world. So, yeah. what was uh, what was that experience like for you? Again, you know. Um, that was their moment. That was their moment to shine. And they show, they, they, they came across with great, they did, they did a great job. And this is what all of, you know, that's the advancement. And, um, you know, we all do what we can in the time that we have. I was in that first wave. They, they were more in the second wave. They were the second, you know, pioneers of, of breaking through the Olympic barrier. And that's, that's a wonderful achievement. Um, and I'm proud of them. I'm proud of, you know, what, the U.S. women have done. I think it's a wonderful thing. One thing I have to ask: I uh, we have a lot of strength athletes. Uh, very few as accomplished as you on on this podcast. I have to say, it's all relative, though. Let's talk a little bit about um, how what your training was like, your your training schedule, um, because I'm always interested to see if training type schedule protocol have evolved over the generations of weightlifters. So, you know, what was your, what was your training frequency and, and, and system like? 
I, I had a lot of different over the years. I mean, in competing from 78 to, you know, I, I had a lot of different influences, a lot of different coaches that influenced how I did. Um, you know, that I was, I was an amateur athlete, you know, I was working full time. Um, so I would train in the evenings and weekends. Um, and, you know, my follow training programs to try, you know, that were written by pretty, you know, excellent coaches over the years. Um, and um, I think I trained, I think I was in the gym maybe three or four hours at a time. And I was there at least probably four days a week. What are some, when you look back at the sports evolution in, you know, the, the 40 plus years since you be, began weightlifting, um, besides the 1987 Women's World Championships, besides the Sydney Olympics, what are some, some points that stick out to you as really impactful in, in changing the sport? It could be for women's involvement or just more broadly. You mean going back in, in time or, or through like even earlier or no, just not, since, since you've been involved in the sport of, of, of weightlifting, we talked about the 87 world championships. We talked a bit about the Sydney Olympics. Are there any other moments or, or, or things that stand out to you as being impactful for the sport? For example, you know, I've asked the same question to some weightlifters and they said, Oh, the popularization of CrossFit. Bringing oh, weightlifting oh, a little more yeah, well, the absolute, but the popularization of CrossFit is more now. It wasn't, didn't exist. I don't yeah. think it, but, but over the course of 40 years, you know. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I think the, fir the very first step that I took in weightlifting was uh, the nationals, the very first women's nationals, which was held in 1981 um, in Des Moines, Iowa. The plane landed in a cornfield <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Um, but that was a pivotal moment, I think, to start, you know, I think that was all started by Mabel Rader and Iron Man magazine. It was just a little classified ad. If you're a woman and you're interested in competing, you know, we're interested in setting up a competition and he, and you mail her, you know, something about if you're interested, mail your name and address. And that's how that all started. And then we finally had a women's nationals. I I did an interview. I don't know if you know Artie Drexler. From, oh, yeah. I've, yeah. I, yeah, I've uh, I've been fortunate enough to train at Lost Battalion a couple times. Okay, so I know Artie many many years. I, he coached me for a period of time um, up to the Women's World Championships, um, and uh, he did an interview. I'm going to say like maybe six seven years ago, and I said that CrossFit is going to be the biggest grassroots program for weightlifting that we've ever seen. And this is before it was what it was. Um, and it, that's what it's turned out to be. I think that the growth of weightlifting is at, in the U S specifically and the talent that we've seen so many of our national level, you know, world-class level athletes are coming from CrossFit. And I think the level of training, you know, as much as I like to, you know, I had some really good coaches and I trained really hard. Um, but the level of training these CrossFit athletes are capable of is pretty incredible. You you mentioned becoming the first woman to snatch more than two hundred pounds. That being a goal in your mind, um, I can think of about it's it's crazy to think that there are about a a, a dozen or more, maybe a several dozen top women CrossFit athletes these days who can do that in their sleep. 
Yeah. And that's not even what they're training in, you know, full time. You have and that's crazy. The cro- the, the 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 diversity of the CrossFit athlete is pretty amazing. The what the what the level I, I you know, I, I I do CrossFit. I was at the CrossFit Games as a master in two thousand eleven. Yeah. Um and CrossFit's a it's incredible. I, I I'm I love CrossFit. I think it's great. Um and it 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 was the first sport that I that really that I fell in love with to the level that I loved weightlifting. Like I loved weightlifting. I loved being a weightlifter and I feel the same thing about CrossFit and I hadn't found anything in, in the interim years. You know, I only started CrossFit in two thousand ten. So um, you know, it's they it's, say that they say that weightlifters make the best CrossFitters when they transition. So the fact that you made it to the CrossFit Games one year after taking up CrossFit training, it's just it's um it's like you, it's Matt Fraser, everyone is just is just proving this theory. Yeah. And and I think the other way that you know, CrossFitters are making good weightlifters, you know. I, and I think that's improved. I think when I first started in 2010, there was some pretty horrific form. <laughs> From of by CrossFitters to the point it was almost a joke, um, but um, beyond that, I think their form and their their work ethic is incredible. Let's talk a little bit about your your career uh, in in CrossFit as a CrossFit athlete. When you competed in 2011 as a Masters athlete, did your competitors know who you were? Did they have an idea that this was this was not your first time in the spotlight as an athlete at a very high level? CrossFit did a good job of promoting that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they were media savvy even then. Yes, that was a long they time were. ago. They were. They 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 did some interviews with me. I was in the CrossFit Journal pre before the games. They 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 did a good job of promoting who I was. So did you? They, what was there a strength event that yeah, year? Yeah, there was a, a one rep max clean and jerk. Did you win? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of, of course, that was a dumb. That was a dumb. I don't get to ask many dumb questions, but that one was a lot of. That one was a lot of fun to ask. Yes, that was good. Are there any athletes, uh, let's say, active today or maybe in the past decade? Right, uh, they could be in CrossFit or weightlifting who have just absolutely blown your mind. Anyone who sticks out, and you're just like, this person is truly a once in a generational talent. I, I, I think there's some great athletes in. CrossFit, yeah, I, you know, look at Matt Fraser, look at Tia Toomey, look at Samantha Gibbs, look at all the daughters. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Wait, which which daughter? There are there are a lot of them, and they're all really really good at what they do. They're all really good, and they work really hard. That's the thing. I think they work really really hard, and I think that work ethic is incredible. Um, in weightlifting, yeah, I mean, all of the, you know. All of this generation are doing a great job, you know. Well, there's a big difference too. A lot of uh, it's it's not not every lifter has this luxury. Not every strength athlete has this luxury. But we do see more strength athletes being able to compete as professionals, and that that is their their full time endeavor. You brought up a point earlier that you were training while working a full time job. You were an amateur athlete. It makes a it makes a big difference to have your time freed up and your effort and resources freed up to focus on training and recovery. And that's it. And I think that makes, I think we're able, I think that's a wonderful thing for the advancement of sports. Um, 
especially, you know, my niche for women, um, to be able to, to make a living doing something you love and dedicate yourself. And I think that's reflective of, um, reflected in the fact that these women are just doing so well, you know, and, and how these records are getting just crushed. And I think, you know, when you're putting your time in as a professional athlete instead of an amateur athlete, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer that you're going to do well. If you could if you could go back in time and give yourself, as a lifter, during the peak of your, your lifting career, or maybe even a few years before your peak, when you were, where you were still trained to get to that level, any piece of advice, what, what, would, what might that be? I, I think... In terms of training, I, I see the value of the CrossFit model. I really do. I think training different, you know, systems, um, different, um, whether it be different metabolic pathways, different, you know, tr- the diversity of training that CrossFit offers, you know, the, the constantly varied and, but still um, constantly challenging and evolving within that is, um a great model for creating a great athlete. I really think that that, you know, I, I really focused on strength. I didn't really focus on my, on, on, on my cardiovascular. I didn't really focus on, on other types of training. And I think that ability to incorporate that makes you a better athlete and being a better athlete is going to make you a better at your sport. I, I would, I would love to see that play out. You going back and telling yourself, Hey, you got to start, you gotta start doing CrossFit. Wait, what's CrossFit? <laughs> no, <laughs> there's a. I, I'm I'm sure there's a. There's you can kind of imagine where where that goes. Well, where is the best place to for folks to keep up to date uh, with you today on on social media or otherwise? <laughs> I'm not a public figure. Um, I <laughs> I uh, the best way to get in touch with me is to come visit me. I'm a chiropractor and. <laughs> to the office and let me help you that's that's my life right now um i do have a facebook page but i'm you know i take breaks from it i like i think you messaged me on instagram and it took me like a month to reply (laughs) because i didn't i literally didn't even check that i had messages on instagram so i'm not you know i do more social media for the office for, for that kind of thing than I do for myself. You know, that might be the best lesson for, in this whole podcast recording to everyone <laughs> is, is get off social media. Go spend some time <laughs> training, recovering, spend some time with your loved ones, get outside. If there's one piece of advice I'm going to take from this, it's maybe don't check my Instagram messages every day. Who cares? <laughs> well, Karin, I really, really appreciate your time. It's been great getting your, your perspective and, um, Thank you very much for, for sharing some of the memories from early in your competition days, as well as your, your, your thoughts on multiple strength sports today. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much.